1: Welcome to the show. Did you have a good Labor Day weekend? I hope you did. And I hope that you got to spend some time outdoors, maybe getting in that one last camping or boating trip of the season. As for my family, we laid low on the actual weekend. But in the days leading up to Labor Day weekend, my daughter and wife and I, we headed to Cape Disappointment State Park in southwest Washington at the mouth of the Columbia And we had a wonderful time. Of course, we got in some beach time, but we spent a lot of time on the docks there at the state park at the boat launch trying to catch some keeper-sized Dungeness crab. And I'll tell you what, there are a lot of crab there in Baker Bay. I mean a lot. My daughter and wife and I probably pulled up 500 Dungeness crab in three afternoons. And you know what? Not a single one was a keeper. We had about three that were close, but none that actually measured out. Most of those Dungeness crab, they were all between two and a half to three and a half inches, and they all got thrown back into the bay. Hopefully next year, they'll be a little bit bigger. But you know what? No regrets, because we just had an absolutely wonderful time, and we're going to tell you all about this state park, which is literally a crown jewel in the Washington State Parks portfolio, offering not only outdoors recreation, but all sorts of layers of history we're talking military history an interpretive center about lewis and clark and the graveyard of the pacific that's off the mouth of the columbia that has so many shipwrecks and the lighthouses two of them that are in the state park that were built to prevent more of these shipwrecks from happening aaron webster is a longtime park ranger here and he'll spend some time telling you about all of this and more If you're wondering about the fishing around here, well, we went to Iwako, which is right next to the state park, headed down to the marina and checked in with Butch Smith. He's the longtime owner of Coho Charters, and there is a lot of fishing and crabbing to be done here in the months of September and October you'll want to hear about. Another stop we made was to the Willapa National Wildlife Refuge. Located in and around Willapa Bay, this refuge is known for its habitat that is very critical for both migrating waterfowl and shorebirds. It also offers hunting opportunities for waterfowl and even big game too. And in just a couple of weeks, there's going to be a birding festival there. It's called Wings Over Willapa. And Jackie Ferrier, who's with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and works at the refuge, will tell you more about this. And I think you'll want to come check it out. In addition to this, we've got a Max Minute featuring Max Pro staffer Bruce Warren. Some news about a special urban archery hunt in Montana. And of course, your Sportsman's Warehouse trivia question of the week. So let's get things started, as we always do with another edition of Sportsman Spotlight.
2: Can you still go fishing this time of year? David Sparks, Sportsman Spotlight. Yes, it may be late in the summer season, and I asked Fish and Game official Roger Phillips about the viability of late summer fishing.
3: Well, interesting you mentioned that, because we always turn our attention to hunting, you know, starting this time of year with archery seasons, and realize that there's an awful lot of good fishing opportunities still out there, and It tends to get better as we start getting a little bit of cooler weather, which we are getting, and that water cools down a little bit, and our rivers tend to do real well for trout fishing, and some of our lakes and reservoirs, they tend to start fishing pretty well, too. So late summer, early fall is still a good time to fish, and people should take advantage of it. Crowds tend to be a little lighter, too.
2: So some tips on fishing this time of year. It's warm and sunny, rivers are low and comfortable, It's easier to read the water. You only need basic fishing gear. Most waters are well-stocked with fish. Warm water fish are heat-resistant. Fish are growing bigger. It just happens to be prime time for mountain lakes. As Roger mentioned, there's less competition from other anglers. And some fishing, such as trout, fishing lakes, reservoirs, and ponds, typically improve as water cools. One last thing. Lots of luck. Hope you enjoyed Sportsman Spotlight. I'm David Sparks. See you next time. Being a farmer takes hard work. Growing
4: wheat is no exception. At Wilbur Ellis, we know that the most successful farms are rooted in the right partnerships and the right solutions, like Efficax soil retention adjuvant. Efficax helps you control late season and winter weeds by enhancing the effectiveness of your herbicide. It works by improving spray material coverage, adhesion, and residual activity, making your herbicide investment more efficient than ever. But growing a bumper crop of wheat isn't the only advantage of working with Wilbur Ellis. When you partner with us, you get access to a team of industry-leading experts and the real-time answers you need to boost your yield. And your bottom line. That's the power of we. You work hard. Let us help your hard work go further with Efficax. Contact your local Wilbur Ellis representative today to see what the power of we can do for you. Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter, full of the gear you need to succeed this hunting season. Firearms, ammo, archery equipment, decoys, clothing, boots, and more. You'll find it all at Sportsman's Warehouse. Better still, the knowledgeable staff can help you with tips to help you bag a trophy or a limit. Find a location near you or shop online today at sportsmans.com.
1: Welcome back to Northwestern Outdoors Radio. We are broadcasting from, well, a little bench in front of the office at Coho Charters in Owaco, looking out on his fleet in the marina. It's a beautiful day today. Butch Smith is the owner here, making some time to chat with me. Butch, welcome to the show.
5: Hey, thanks a lot. It's nice to be on your show again. Last time I was here, I think we did the whale task force interview.
1: I think we did. But this time, we're talking fishing. And man, oh man, I've been seeing a lot of boats coming in and out, both recreational boats and charter boats. How's the fishing been this summer? Has it lived up to the expectations that everyone had for this August?
5: Yeah, I would say so. I don't think there's a day this summer I haven't limited. Fishing has been phenomenal. Coho have been plenty. I think we have underprediction of chinooks. We've had plenty of chinooks in the ocean, sometimes too good. We had to close our chinook fishing down a little early in the ocean, but we're still catching nice, bright, orange meated coho. Some of the best eating there around, and and a crazy fight when they're jumping in and out of the water. People are still having a real good time doing that.
1: Let's talk a, a little bit about the month of September. We're in the second week of September now. A lot of folks are pulling up stakes, they're heading to the Columbia River Gorge, they're heading to Hanford Reach, looking for those Chinook up there. But how long does the fishing stay good here?
5: Where we're fishing now is, is sometimes a long ways from the river. And so I, what that tells me is there's more fish coming. Uh, when we clean the fish, the fish, the eggs in the fish are immature. So I think we've got plenty more good fishing to come. We have plenty more quota to catch them on. So I think this could be a very good September, both in the ocean and buoy 10. You know, if God bless you, if you want to go, you know, chase those kings up the river, but the coho are still a huge quality, well-eating, fighting fish and fun to catch.
1: Let's talk about how your clients catch fish off your boats. When you go salmon fishing, what's the drill?
5: Well, my method of fishing is kind of since, you know, we've been in the business since the early 50s, started in Westport. With my grandfather, and then came down to El Waco in the late '60s. I kind of use a method that's in between mooching and the fast trolling. I I don't like to troll hard. I like to use a slow troll, you know, in and out of gear, some you know, and, and and or a real slow troll, which makes it a lot funner for the clients to catch the coho or chinooks. They're fighting. They're on top of the water. They're jumping, you know, and so. And we use the anchovies and the divers and and some triangular flashers not not we're not we're not into the skateboards out in the ocean we don't have to why use them if you don't have to but we're still using kind of the four foot leader delta divers some with flashers some not and fresh anchovies you know it's worked for years and still working still fun to use
1: well if it's working there's no reason to change that's for sure on your boats how many clients do you carry
5: well, we're licensed for 18, but we like to hold our boats at 12. You know, sometimes we'll put 14 on them if they're a one-party group and they need 14. But basically, we carry 12, which gives us plenty of room on the boats between the clients and, you know, no tangles and any of that stuff. So we like to, you know, it's 12 is a nice number and, and comfortable and, and people, you know, a lot of space between our, our, our fishermen. And, and so it's really fun. Adds adds a lot more to the enjoyment of the trip, I think.
1: Let's talk about another trip that you offer—crabbing trips. Tell our listeners about this because September is a very good month for
5: Dungeness crab. Oh boy, yeah, we started those a few years ago, kind of out of necessity, and boy, they have taken off. It's twelve crab a piece, and they're pretty darn good quality. We start at the uh, towards the end of September, and we run them all through October, depending on how the weather turns out in November. You know usually we'll if the weather's nice we'll fish you know through the middle end of november if not we'll have to call it a season but boy it's phenomenal good eating like i said it's uh and it's a nice it is just a nice laid back trip to compare it to the high intensity of the salmon season and the pressure which goes on between all the captains and the deckhands to be successful because we we you know we are really want to give our clients a good trip but the crab trip is laid back you can participate as much as you want if you pull a crab pot hey we'll be we'll be glad to let you pull a crab pot if you <laughs> uh you know if, if you don't you don't have to you can look at the beautiful scenery of cape disappointment and what the columbia river has to offer for for spectacular scenery
1: well it is indeed beautiful out here and these aren't the only trips you offer you also offer halibut trips in the early summer and you've got sturgeon trips and sometimes you can even keep the sturgeon out here
5: yeah, that's a mystery each year, but usually it's uh, towards Mother's Day weekend to for a couple days a week in, and it goes to about the first weekend in June.
1: Now you only get to keep one sturgeon, but more than likely you're going to reel in a whole bunch of sturgeon before you get that keeper, aren't you?
5: Oh my God, it, you know, and we're throwing huge fish back when you're catching, so it's just a, a great fight, and you know, sturgeon especially when they come out of the ocean, are nice and hot, so they're flying out of the water, they're just tail-walking like crazy, and sometimes, yeah, we throw back 30, 40 fish a, a trip, catch and release, you know, on those trips trying to catch keepers, and clients are wore out when that day's over.
1: Amen to that. Again, folks, you're listening to Northwestern Outdoors Radio, we're talking to Butch Smith, the longtime owner of Coho Charters out of Ilwaco, Washington, right at the mouth of the Columbia River. And I guess the great thing about booking a trip with you is that uh, you also just happen to have a hotel here, too.
5: We do. Sleep by the fleet. You're less than maybe 50, 60 steps away from the boat. So get in your motel room, and you don't have to worry about looking for a parking spot. That morning, you're already parked. You're already well to go. And, you know, it's just a nice, simple... Hotel with uh, nice and clean and not much amenities uh, like you see at a Hilton, but you can rest assured it's a nice, clean room and just a little ways from the boat.
1: You know, we were down at Baker Bay at Cape Disappointment State Park at the boat launch last night, and there was a couple of clients that were getting ready to fish this morning with one of the charters here in El Waco and they couldn't help themselves. They had to do a little fishing, a little crabbing while they were there. So that's an option at Cape Disappointment State Park. Any other options for fishing or for crabbing If before you get on the charter if you're a landlubber?
5: Oh, sure. If you want to fish, you got to be a little bit in shape and real careful, but you can fish on the North Jetty. Some days they catch more fish than some of the boats at Buoy 10. Um, that can be really good. Make sure you have a lot of gear with you. It's kind of a snaggly fishery, but but once you get connected with it and hooked up, you know, it's pretty good. Crabbing off where you were at the boat launch at uh, Cape Disappointment, I know there's a gizmo that they have where they uh, crab snares where they actually throw them off the North Jetty with a little bait in the middle or they have balls of twine that entangle the crab. So there's that option. There's Nakata up the road you can fish off the docks up there not really too much fishing off the docks in Elwaco I, I you know whatever crab you get I really wouldn't there's not much flushing so not much to eat here there's also some I think I see people still sturgeon fishing catch and release uh, by the church in Chinook the old Catholic Church along the road there so so there's plenty of options and perch fishing I forgot about that we have world-class perch fishing that goes on the off of the Long Beach Peninsula so there is plenty to fish for here on the peninsula and if you like to trout fish in the lakes there's two great big lakes you can trout for and one of the hidden treasures that not many people know about pretty good freshwater bass fishing in some of the lakes that are in the middle of the peninsula so there's plenty to do if you like to fish
1: all right well come on down to il waco come on down to the long beach peninsula bring your fishing gear bring your crabbing gear and be sure to book a charter with Coho Charters. The website to go to is Coho Charters.com. That's Coho Charters.com. Butch, thanks for sharing all this with us today on Northwestern Outdoors Radio.
5: Hey, nice seeing you here in El Waco and come back and enjoy what we have to offer.
1: We recorded this with Butch at the end of August, and we need to share that on September 2nd, fisheries managers closed all salmon fishing from buoy 10 all the way up to Bonneville Dam in the Columbia River because the Tule Chinook quota had been met. However, the coho fishery may open again in the river, should stay open in the ocean, so check the regulations, and with any luck, you can enjoy some great coho salmon fishing in this area in September. And if for some reason you can't get down here to get into the salmon fishing well you can always order salmon and have it delivered to your door and some of the best tasting salmon you'll ever eat is from Sina Sea Seafoods. It's premium wild caught Alaskan salmon. You can get your choice of coho salmon, chinook salmon, or copper river sockeye salmon. All caught in the cold clean waters in Alaska. All handled with care. Packaged carefully. Delivered right to your door in meal sized portions. You're going to absolutely love the salmon and other seafood you get from Sina Sea Seafood. Check out what they have for you and place an order to Day, you can do so at CenaC.com. That's S E N A S E A. Cenasc.com. And don't forget to use the promo code Outdoors Radio for 10% off.
0: of the Great Outdoors on Northwestern Outdoors Radio with John Cruz.
1: It's time for another Max Minute. Fish on! Brought to you every week by Max Lure Company. With us this week is Max Pro Guide Bruce Warren. Bruce, we're at Fish Camp. We've been fishing the Columbia River, and I understand you've been using smile blades while hover fishing to get fish in the boat. You bet. Smile blades will add an extra flash to your bait, they'll add a, add a little extra color to
6: your bait, and you can change them up real quick, real easy to maybe get something that'll get those fish to go
1: on. Let's go ahead and talk about hover fishing. Exactly how does that work? Go ahead and describe the setup and the technique
6: well first of all you need a fairly good rod not too long about eight feet with a fairly light tip and a little bit of backbone to it 10 to 20 pound test works great put on that a chunk of two ounce lead cannonballs are my favorite because they don't hang up too bad and you only need about two maybe three feet a liter again about 20 pound test tie on between a one-aught and probably a three-aught hook your favorite beta eggs and of course don't forget that max smile blade on there drop it down to the bottom reel up two to three cranks, and watch that rod tip. That's
1: the key. Now, in hover fishing, you're not jigging, you're not moving it, you're just waiting for that fish to, to bite, and it's a really light bite, isn't it?
6: Yes, it is. It's very light bite. You'll, that's why you need a rod with a sensitive tip. You'll see that rod dip a little bit, maybe bump a little bit, but boy, not very
1: much. And the other key when it comes to hover fishing is I have always been trained, especially with the Chinook salmon, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, let them eat it. But that's not the case with hover fishing, is it?
6: No, it's not. You see that rod dip just a little bit, set it, set it hard. You never know. It might be a sturgeon, but hopefully, and most of the time, it's a nice big Chinook.
1: Well, there you go, folks. Hover fishing, demystified, and don't forget that smile blade. It's a patented product from Max Lure. That's going to wrap up this Max Minute.
7: Want to put a smile on your face? Start off by putting a Smile Blade from Max Lure Company on your line. Max Smile Blades come in different sizes and spin at slow speeds, not like those metal blades on other lures. Buy them separately or on ready-made rigs like the Wedding Ring Spinner, Double Whammy, Wallet Pop, and more. Smile Blades work for trout, bass, walleye, as well as other species, and when that fish hits, you'll have a grin on your face that won't go away. The Smile Blade, only from Max Lure Company.
0: Anglers are getting a raise this year with the Northern Pike Minnow Sport Reward Fishery Program, and the fish are biting. Here's how it works. First, register at a pike minnow station along the Columbia or Snake River. Next, go fishing for pike minnow and bring back all of them that measure nine inches or longer. The fish are worth six, eight, or ten dollars, and the more fish you catch, the more each one is worth. Keep an eye out for tagged fish, too, because those are worth five hundred bucks. Go fishing, make money, and have fun. Find out more at pikeminnow.org
1: you're back in with Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz and I'll tell you what I am broadcasting from a place of beauty. We're at the headquarters of the Willapa National Wildlife Refuge near Long Beach in southwest Washington and there's a gentle breeze blowing. I'm looking out over some flats where there's definitely some waterfowl that are going to be there this fall and with me to tell you more about this National Wildlife Refuge is Jackie Ferrier. She is the project leader here. Jackie, welcome to the show.
7: Hi, John. Great to have you at the refuge.
1: Well, it certainly is a beautiful day to be here. Why don't you go ahead and and explain to our listeners why this refuge was established and why it's so important for the birds and animals that use it?
7: Well, many people come to the Long Beach Peninsula For lots of vacationing, right? You love the clams, the oysters, the crab, and all the fun activities that can be found here. Well, so do the birds. The birds that are traveling through the Pacific Flyway. Willapa National Wildlife Refuge is a really important stopover place because of all of the mud flats that you're seeing out in Willapa Bay right now. And all of the shorelines of the Long Beach Peninsula, 27 miles of shorelines, provide this incredible buffet for all sorts of shorebirds, waterfowl, and other migratory birds.
1: You know, glad you mentioned the shorebirds, because I think when people think of national wildlife refuges, they immediately think of waterfowl. But this is like a, a really valuable area for different species of shorebirds. What are some of them that come through here every year?
7: I'm glad you asked. We have about 200 to 300,000 shorebirds that come through, everything from lots of dunlins, short-billed dowitchers least sandpipers western sandpipers you name it we've we've got 43 different species that are traveling through at any point in time during the spring or fall migrations and some are some are here year-round to nest and some are here just during the migrations and some are here just during the winter
1: and you also have just about all of the ducks that are found in the Pacific Flyway that are coming through here. But in addition to that, you also have an unusual goose that a lot of people have never even seen, the Brant. And this is a really valuable spot for Brant too, isn't it?
7: It is. The Willapa Bay is known for the uh, wide variety of eelgrass that's in the bay and Brant love to eat eelgrass. It's very important for their life strategy and they stop at sites with this particular type of eelgrass along their migration routes and wintering sites.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the refuge itself. I think a lot of people, when they go visit a National Wildlife Refuge, they think of it as just one place that they're visiting. But yours is broken up in several different units. For instance, right now, we're looking at the South Bay unit, but there's a couple of other units to include an island.
7: Yeah, Long Island. It's the second largest estuarine island on the Pacific coast. It's about six miles long in the middle of Willapa Bay. And it's a wonderful place to visit. It's kind of magical. It has everything from old-growth forests, thousand-year-old trees, western red cedars trees, that provide important habitat for a lot of our key species, including threatened marbled murrelets, a species that's pretty rare to the coast, and a lot of people migrate out there as well.
1: (laughs) We'll we'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, Let's talk about another one of the units that you have, and that's where the, the former headquarters was located on the east side of the bay
7: cutthroat creek now called cutthroat creek yeah it's the home to the art trail and cutthroat climb trails nearby uh just to the north would be the teal slew trail also gives you some really nice views of some really amazingly old trees remnant cedar grove uh, with cedars and spruces
1: all right well let's talk about you are kind of leading into this here some of the activities that people do out here at the willapa national wildlife refuge and one of them is certainly hiking you've got quite a few trails don't you
7: we have actually over 20 miles of trails, actually, on all the different units, from Leadbetter Point, which is at the tip of the peninsula, lots of diverse habitats. So that's mostly beach and dune type of habitat. And then um, as you come down the peninsula to the, the South Bay, it's a lot of forests and the, the bay itself. And as you work your way back north on the other side of the peninsula, it's a, a lot more forests.
1: All right. Something else you can do here at one place is camping, and you do that on Long Island But correct me if I'm wrong, you can't just get out there with, like, a, a Parker boat that's powered by a 250-horse engine. It's small craft only, isn't it?
7: Depends on the tide. You really have to watch the tides on how you get out to Long Island. We need You need a six-foot tide just to actually reach the island. Some places you actually need a little bit higher of a tide. And the reason we allow camping, it's not something that's allowed on no, most national wildlife right. refuges. But we allow it here because... The tides come in and out, and you can only access it during certain times. So we could strand some people out there. So we like to give them some nice, primitive, but beautiful campsites that are out there.
1: And a lot of folks get out there by kayaking or canoeing, don't they?
7: They do. It's a very popular, that's the most popular way to get out to the island.
1: Now, in addition to camping on Long Island, you can actually hunt out there, too. This is really unusual because it's open for a variety of species, but it's all archery. What are some of the things that hunters go out there for?
7: The most popular is the early elk archery season, which happens early September. The campsites are completely full at that time. You've also
1: got bear hunting, grouse hunting, but the rest of the refuge... Is pretty much all waterfowl hunting, isn't it?
7: Well, there's waterfowl, a lot of waterfowl hunting, but there's also elk and deer hunting, all in the all those forest areas I mentioned, and even a little bit on the the beach dune area as well.
1: All right, and you know, and that's something else that I think a lot of people don't realize. When people think of a national wildlife refuge, they think it's like a a sanctuary, but actually, it is a multi-use area, and yes, it does provide great habitat for wildlife, but there's also enough to allow for hunting, isn't there?
7: There is. Hunting's a really rich long history uh, with national wildlife refuges. Hunters help to conserve a lot of the habitats that you, everyone gets out there to be able to use. They were part of the establishing those the refuges to begin with.
1: Right. Those duck stamps, folks, if you're a duck hunter and buy a duck stamp, it's coming to places like this. One other thing I want to talk about, and this has to do with birds, but not hunting birds. It's watching birds. You've got a big festival coming up here pretty soon, don't you?
7: We do. The Wings Over Willapa Festival on September 22nd through the 25th. Exciting, about 30 different events, everything from speakers to guided hikes to self guided hikes to uh, presentations and artist workshops.
1: And is that going to be taking place here at the headquarters or does it take place at various locations around the refuge?
7: Both. We have a wide variety of opportunities on all of the different units and with a lot of our different partners. So you'll there's some with the uh, state parks uh, down at Cape Disappointment. There's some with the Nature Conservancy on Ellsworth Preserve. And then there's lots of great things. You can get out to see the island, the Long Island. You can get out to see Leadbetter Point either by tracking. You, there's a master tracker that's got a, a, some classes, which wow. is uh, pretty impressive. And four-by-four um, tours and lots of boat tours, a lot of water around here. How
1: many people generally come to this festival?
7: It's a fairly new festival, so we're around two to 300 people so far.
1: Okay, well, I suspect uh, a few more people are going to come for this now. What's the website folks should go to to find out more about this?
7: WingsOverWillipa.org
1: And I understand you've got a pretty impressive keynote speaker for the festival, too.
7: We do. Noah Stryker. One of the first human beings to see more than half of the planet's bird species in one year oh my
1: gosh okay he's
7: an impressive impressive speaker and he'll be here on our friday night as our keynote speaker all right
1: wingsoverwillipa.org that's the website to go to and make it a point to come out here and experience all that nature has to offer on this expansive refuge you're not going to regret it the website to go to if you want to find out more is just fws.gov backslash refuge backslash Willapa, or just google the Willapa National Wildlife Refuge and you'll get there in a hurry. Jackie thanks so much for sharing this with us today on Northwestern Outdoors Radio.
7: Thanks so much for being here. Our
4: country hunters and anglers. You may have heard of us. But what are we about? BHA is the voice for your wild public lands, waters, and wildlife. From national-level policy work to boots-on-the-ground projects like public land cleanups, we work across North America to uphold the legacy of our public lands and waters, as well as your opportunity to hunt, fish, and recreate on them. Stand up for public lands and waters and become a BHA member today. Visit backcountryhunters.org. Come to Oregon's Wallawa County for outdoors adventure. Hike, ride, paddle, fish, or sightsee to your heart's content. And then visit one of our wonderful towns, whether it be Joseph with its beautiful bronze statues, our county seat and enterprise, or one of our charming small towns like Wallawa, Imnaha, or Troy, where you can eat, shop, and sleep before continuing your adventure the next day. Plan your visit now at WallawaCountyChamber.com. That's WallawaCountyChamber.com.
1: We're back in with Northwestern Outdoors Radio. We're continuing to broadcast from Iwako and Cape Disappointment State Park. As a matter of fact, right now we're at the Lewis and Clark Interpretive Center and I'm with Interpretive Ranger Aaron Webster. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you. Aaron, you've been here 20 years now and let's kind of talk about all the things that are available in this park for people to see. Well,
8: Cape Disappointment State Park is a big one. We have one of the largest campgrounds in the state with about 230 campsites. We also have miles of beaches, great day-use areas, and a couple of interpretive facilities. This would include... This museum that we're in the basement of, the Lewis and Clark Interpretive Center, which is not just Lewis and Clark, but also North Head Lighthouse. It was acquired by the state a few years ago, and it's undergone complete renovation. So it's in good condition, and in the summer, you can go to the top.
1: Let's talk about the history of this place, because there is just so much history on this piece of real estate at the mouth of the Columbia River. And I guess we could start off with the Chinook Indians that lived here, but let's go ahead and and talk about the first explorers. So back in the 1700s, a Spanish explorer saw a whole bunch of logs coming out into the sea in this area, didn't have time to explore, but he thought, you know, I think this is where this big river is that everybody's talking about, perhaps the Northwest Passage. And then an English fur trader, Captain Mears, came, and what did he discover? So Mears had heard about the fact that there was probably
8: a river here, but this earlier Spanish guy, Bruno Hesita, he had not entered the river mouth. So Mears came here with high hopes to do what Bruno couldn't, but when he arrived at the mouth of the river and looked at the mouth of the river, he felt sure it was not the mouth of a river. He named the rocks Cape Disappointment, and he named
1: the river itself Deception Bay. Interesting. (laughs) But he was wrong, and an American captain, Robert Gray... A few years later, discovered this was indeed the Columbia River and and named it after his ship, the Columbia Rida Viva. He came here
8: in 1792, along with uh, George Vancouver, who ended up mapping most of the lower river.
1: So American fur traders come in you've got uh, astoria uh, becomes a city named after a fur trader there and then the civil war happens and the civil war the united states the union i should say decides to build forts at the mouth of the columbia on the oregon side fort stevens and here it's called fort canby tell us a little bit about the history of this military installation before it was a state park Yes,
8: originally called Fort Cape Disappointment. It was established in the Civil War due to Confederate presence in the Pacific.
1: They had no idea. There were Confederate ships in the Pacific Ocean?
8: Yes, nothing ever really came of that, as you probably realize, but uh, there were a number of areas that were fortified, including Cape D and the Presidio in San Francisco Bay Area. But the biggest era of building at this fort is an era we call the Endicott Era, 1898 to 1906 or so, when most of the Pacific Northwest's famous gun batteries were built. These batteries were then reactivated for World War II in World War II, they started building some new defenses at the mouth of the Columbia, but none of them were ever completed before the war ended.
1: So at some point, this becomes Fort Canby. Who was Canby? Yeah, good question. General George Edward Canby was
8: a Civil War general who survived the Civil War and was killed during the Modoc War in California. So this fort became Fort Canby when Canby was killed during the Modoc War.
1: And eventually, after World War II, the State Parks Commission got a hold of this. And originally it was Fort Canby State Park. When did it change to Cape Disappointment State Park? So the change
8: in name came concurrent with the bicentennial of Lewis and Clark. It was 2003 to maybe, it was probably 2005 before we actually got it done. We wanted people to notice this park again and to think of it as more than just another one of the forts in Washington
1: oh it really is so much more again with with all the history that we're talking about here and folks you actually can see some of the old fortifications and emplacements that are here but you've got to stop by the Lewis and Clark Interpretive Center this is a world-class facility
8: yeah I agree it's an amazing museum we have an extensive Lewis and Clark exhibit covering the whole expedition as well as artifacts from the expedition upstairs is a whole nautical section Coast Guard, and lighthouses, and other things uh, related to the uh, mouth of the river.
1: And that's my next question. It's about the lighthouses. You've got two lighthouses, Cape Disappointment Lighthouse, which is right by the Interpretive Center, and then just a couple miles to the north, you've got North Head Lighthouse. Why are there two lighthouses here? So originally, when Cape Disappointment Lighthouse was
8: built in 1856, most of the ship traffic was coming from San Francisco, north up the coast in full view of the Cape Disappointment Lighthouse. But in the late 1800s, when the rail lines connected at Tacoma, ships started coming in and out of the Puget Sound much more and into the Columbia from the north. Well, from the north, you can't see Cape Disappointment Lighthouse because this pesky hill called North Head blocks it. So we built a lighthouse on North Head in 1898.
1: And can you still stay in the Lighthouse Keepers and Assistant Lighthouse Keepers quarters at the North Head Lighthouse? Yes. Cape Disappointment has three Lighthouse Keeper residences that you
8: can stay at. They come fully equipped with a kitchen. It's like a hotel room with a kitchen
1: warning though folks it's not cheap if you're on a budget consider the cabins or the yurts or the campsites or bring your rv you're going to love anywhere you're at though at this park i mean there's just so much to do with the beaches the lighthouses the interpretive centers got a great boat launch and boy oh boy a ton of people have been out fishing and crabbing too what's maybe a, a hidden gem that people miss out on that you would suggest they do here i think a lot of people miss our
8: hiking trails and we have some of the biggest trees in pacific county here at cape disappointments State Park. If you hike a trail called the Coastal Loop Trail, it's just one and a half miles. You can see and even touch Sitka spruce trees that are 10 foot diameter and estimated to be over 700 years old.
1: Wow, that is amazing. And I guess getting back to the lighthouses, one more thing I want to talk about. They call the area off the mouth of the Columbia the Graveyard of the Pacific. And I know that at Fort Stevens State Park, you actually can see an old wreck, the Peter Iredale. Are there a bunch of shipwrecks off of Cape Disappointment as well? There are uh, shipwrecks
8: off of Cape D, but you can't really see them. Most of them have settled down into the sand and are just not visible. A couple exceptions are near the A jetty. You've got the wreck of an old tuna boat called the Betty M, whose spars still project above the waterline at low tide.
1: So, Aaron, in addition to to all the history you and some of the other interpretive rangers and volunteers kind of bring it to life with programs during the summer too, don't you? Yeah, we sure do. In
8: June, July, and August, we have guided hikes. We have about five different guided hikes during the week, and we also have about five different evening programs. So we hope people will come out to those. What are some of the subjects of the ones you're doing this year? Well, our guided hikes this year included talking about waves, tides, and currents on a beach hike. Some of them involved edible plants in the forest hikes, And our evening programs were really everything from Jeopardy! like game show to a flint napping demonstration
1: where we show you how to make arrowheads. Very interesting and very educational and very fun. All sorts of history, all sorts of outdoor recreation, all sorts of great camping opportunities. You're gonna find it here at Cape Disappointment State Park. You will wanna register a ways in advance. You can register up to nine months in advance. This is a very popular park, not just for the cabins and for the lighthouse keepers' quarters, but for everything. So make plans now, and as soon as you can, go ahead and register and reserve a place to stay and come on out here to the beach, come on out here to Cape D, you're gonna absolutely love it. Aaron, thanks so much for sharing this with us today on Northwestern Outdoors Radio. Thank you very much.
0: Anglers are getting a raise this year with the Northern Pike Minnow Sport Reward Fishery Program, and the fish are biting. Here's how it works. First, register at a pike minnow station along the Columbia or Snake River. Next, go fishing for pike minnow and bring back all of them that measure nine inches or longer. The fish are worth six, eight, or ten dollars, and the more fish you catch, the more each one is worth. Keep an eye out for tagged fish, too, because those are worth five hundred bucks. Go fishing, make money, and have fun. Find out more at pikeminnow.org. We've got time for one more shot of
1: Northwestern Outdoors Radio with John Cruz. Welcome back in. You know, when you think of deer hunting, especially mule deer hunting, you think of getting out there quite a ways into the sage or into the woods and looking for these majestic animals to harvest. But in Roundup, Montana you can actually hunt them right in the city limits. That's right. For the eighth year in a row, the city of Roundup is going to be offering a special archery-only deer hunt. The reason for this? Well, they've just got too many mule deer. In and around Roundup, they're causing problems in terms of vehicle collisions and being aggressive towards the inhabitants and causing property damage. So you get a chance to actually hunt these animals right in town. The application period for this hunt opens on October 5th at 5 a.m. and it's open to both residents for $10 or non-residents for $75 with a limit of two deer per hunter. A total of 90 licenses for this hunt will be available and they're valid on specific properties in and around the town. You will have to coordinate with the Roundup City offices during business hours and they will likely assign you to appropriate sites where you can hunt. The season takes place November 5th through February 15th and officials in Roundup say that the hunts do help reduce conflicts between humans and deer. If you want to find out more, go to the Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks website, look for the news release on this subject and get more information about a special urban archery hunt in the town of roundup montana and now it's time for your sportsman's warehouse trivia question of the week and it's about the teal that small low-flying puddle duck found throughout much of north america they tend to migrate early but in september you can usually see all three species of them in the northwest and rocky mountain west that includes the green winged teal, the blue winged teal, and the striking red colored teal that is named after a certain spice. Do you know the name of this particular species? If you do, you know what to do. Go to our Facebook page at Northwestern Outdoors Radio. If you haven't already, please like and follow the page. That helps us out. Then go to the post thread where we have the question and give us your answer there. If you don't do Facebook, I completely understand. In that case, just go to our website at NorthwesternOutdoors.com and let us know the name of this red-colored teal that's named after a particular spice. One lucky person who guesses right wins the $25 gift card we give away every week from Sportsman's Warehouse, which has all the gear you need for a successful waterfowl hunt this fall. On that note, it's time to wrap things up. I'm getting ready to fish the old farts tournament again at Potholes Reservoir next Saturday, and there's still time for you to do so, too, if you want to. Just go to the Banks Lake Bass Club website at bankslakebassclub.com and sign up, and Hopefully, I'll see you out on the lake, and we can have some fun and see who's going to bring in the biggest bag of bass next Saturday. Whether you are bass fishing or getting in on some early hunting opportunities or some wonderful fishing, wildlife watching, or hiking or paddling options, it's a great month to be in the field and on the water. So, until next time, do take care, God bless, and make it a point to spend some time outdoors.